0: podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. This morning we're going to be in the book of Zechariah. Now if you don't know where that's at, find the book of Matthew and then work backwards into the Old Testament, okay? So you'll go through... uh, should be Malachi, and then the next book over is going to be the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter number 9 is where we're going to find ourselves here this morning. And, um, you know, we've been kind of going through uh, some of these things about Jesus being the king, beholding your king, and I wanted to finish this up kind of with a prophecy that has a dual uh, purpose in this, and and we'll, we'll see that here in just a moment. But, you know, yesterday, uh, maybe like many of you, your family exchanged gifts, uh, one with another. And uh, my wife was wanting a pot, a cooking pot. Now, usually you don't get... Husbands, you don't get your wives things like cooking things or cleaning things for Christmas, okay? That's not a good idea. But she specifically asked for this pot she wanted, right? So I went to Walmart, picked out this pot, and it's this pioneer woman type thing. Now, my wife is not a pioneer woman by any means, okay? And I don't think she's gonna become a pioneer woman by cooking with this pot at all. But she wanted this specific pot, so we got it. And um, I shared with my daughter, Evelyn, I said, hey, listen, I got mom a pot. Now, we gotta keep it a secret. Well, you see how that turned out, right? Didn't turn out very good. You know, I said, don't mention about the pot. Don't say anything about a pot. And then she goes up to her and says, Mom, you're not getting a pot for Christmas. (laughs) Didn't work out too good. So uh, we got the pot. I hid the pot, and I said, Hey, you know what would be a good idea for this? Is let's have a scavenger-type hunt for the pot, okay? So what we ended up doing is taking one of my wife's old pots and wrapping that up as a Christmas present, and then I hid the other pot where the old pot used to be. So in there, when she unwrapped it, she's like, "Oh, great, a pot, one that I already have." you know?" But then there was clues to find the new pot. So she goes through all the clues. I think we had like six clues or something like that. Uh, and she finally, the last clue was the word "kitchen cabinet," but it was scrambled. And uh, so she had to figure out, okay, kitchen cabinet. So she goes over to the kitchen cabinet, and I'm not kidding you. She opens up the kitchen cabinet door, and she looks right down, and she sees the pot, but then she doesn't see it. How is that a, a possibility, right? I'm thinking to myself, you were looking right at it. It's right there, right? That's your Christmas gift. So then I had to tell her, okay, your pot's right there. So then she ended up finding it. But, you know, I think about that, and I think about, you know, when we come to a text like this in Zechariah 9, um, these are all prophecies dealing with who Jesus is, what he's going to do, and it's, it's all, we've already seen it evidenced, right? Like, here's these prophecies about Jesus, and the Jews missed it. I mean, they were completely baffled by the fact that here comes Jesus, he shows up, He's located five miles away in the town of Bethlehem. And what was the people's response to that, right? Like, they they didn't even care. They were were totally uh, apathetic to his coming uh, because they weren't looking in the right place. They weren't looking exactly uh, for Jesus and what the scriptures teach here. And so most Jews in Jesus' day, they missed the Messiah because... They were so focused on looking for something else than really the way that God said that uh, his Savior, Jesus, was going to come. And so we've been looking at all these various texts, and this morning here, um, we're going to be looking here about a specific text, a, a fantastic text... Uh, dealing about who Jesus is and what uh, he's going to do. And, you know, there's still a lot of people, I think, today that miss out on who Jesus is. They miss out uh, what he says, uh, what God's word says that he is, because they're not looking for a savior. You know, they might be looking for uh, Jesus to be some sort of like a, an Aladdin, a genie, you know, like, uh, you know, rub the lamp and poof, what do you need, Right. Or they're looking for a savior that's going to deliver them from all of their problems, you know, uh, just just to you know someone to kind of lean upon like a crutch, you know. That's that's not the savior of the Bible. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. And uh, as we're going to look here at this Old Testament passage here, uh, we're going to see Jesus as what Scripture says that He is. And I think what's important to understand is we have to understand who Jesus is. How does scripture reveal Jesus? Because the Jews, they had these scriptures, right? They had the word, but yet they missed him. Why? Because they weren't looking specifically of who Jesus really was. And uh, so this morning, we're going to look at some attributes of his kingship, of who Jesus is. And then I'm going to leave you with a statement um, as what our scripture is going to Tell us here about one point. And so, this is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Rejoice! Jesus the King is coming. Let's take a look at this prophecy found here in Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. It says here, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Zechariah here has a very fascinating message for its readers. If you have some time, I'd encourage you to read through the book of Zechariah because it it deals with a lot of prophetic things uh, that are going to happen, um, and most notably speaking about our Lord's return. Uh, But beginning in chapter number 9, Zechariah actually predicts and talks about Alexander the Great, how Alexander the Great was going to show up on the scene. I mean, this is this is years before uh, Alexander the Great ever sh- showed up. And so God's Word actually talks about that and deals with that. And, uh, you know, Alexander the Great was a very ruthless tyrant. He was uh, somebody that you didn't really want to cross paths with. I mean, he would come in there, and he would just destroy, kill, maim. It really didn't matter, and he would do a lot of things. And so you'd have to think about this. Here's Zechariah talking about a coming king that uh, is going to come, Uh, Alexander the Great. He's going to come, and that would really strike terror and fear into people's hearts. I mean, you think about it like as we live in this world today, right? if you were to read on the news, uh, you know, or hear on the news, uh, you know, China has nuclear weapons and they've just launched some and test uh, to see what the location and how far that those weapons could go. And they're aimed at the United States. What would would that do to your heart, right? Like, what would you be thinking about, right? I think we've seen just in the past two years, uh, such as uh, the thing with COVID, right? Striking fear in people's hearts. The fear of the unknown, the fear of death, the fear of I don't know what's going to happen. And so you think about this, right? Here is Zechariah talking about Alexander the Great. That would strike fear in people's hearts. But then he tells us about a different king that is going to come. And this is Jesus here, this prophecy in Zechariah 9, uh, 9 through 10 and you read these verses here, and it talks about this coming king, Jesus, and he's coming to his own people here. And he's quite a different king rather than Alexander the Great. Uh, he actually cares about his people. He wants to shelter them and help them, and he cares about them other than the way that uh, Alexander the Great. And notice how Zechariah gives us the response that they should have here. What does he say? Rejoice greatly! O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. You know that phrase, your king, look what he says here. Behold, your king is coming to you. That phrase, coming to you, can also be read as your king is coming for you. He's coming for you. When you think about Jesus, our king, coming. What does that do for us? There's benefits to that. I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody really wants to continue living on in this world. Do you really? I mean, you see how horrible it's getting, how bad it's getting? Do we just want to keep like just trudging on through life? Well, you know, maybe, maybe tomorrow it's going to get better. Maybe tomorrow it's going to get better. No, And God's word says, Jesus, your king, is coming for you, for your benefits. What does he bring to us for benefits? Well, we need to recognize our need. You see, Israel was under the domination of of foreign powers at this time. And even when Jesus stepped on the scene... Uh, the, the nation of Israel, Jerusalem, was under the, uh, the foreign power of, of Rome. They didn't like that. And so they thought their Messiah was coming to finally release them of all these foreign powers and restore the glory of Israel. But see, they missed out on what Jesus was really supposed to be coming for. Jesus here... He has our very best interest at heart. He cares about us. You know, spiritually, we must admit that we are under the domination of a foreign power as well. That's a foreign power of sin. That's a foreign power of the devil that is uh, taking hold of our lives. And if you don't know Jesus, you're in bondage to sin. You're in bondage, and you can't break free. And you need a king to come and release you. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came and he released us. So who is this king? What are some of the benefits that, we off, that he offers us? Well, here's just a few that we can take from this passage here. Number one, he is a king of authority. Jesus is a king of authority, when you read this prophecy, it shows us how much authority Jesus has. Notice what Zechariah says here in verse number 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. And we don't really have kings and queens like you know, they had back in the day. I mean, yeah, we have like uh, the queen mother over there in England, right? Does she really do anything? No. She sits around, maybe signs some papers, waves to people, you know, gets an iPod from Obama, you know, stuff like that. But she really doesn't have much power, right? When you think of the king, the king coming, he has power. And our savior Jesus has power. He has authority. Notice how well it's how how well this is all laid out here. Because look what he says here. Behold, your king is coming for you, coming to you. And what kind of king is he? He's righteous. And having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. We find in the gospel accounts that Even in his first coming, when he came as a humble, suffering servant, Jesus Christ possessed all authority still. You say, well, how do we see that? Well, here's the thing. Nobody could take Jesus' life from him. As we saw last week, Jesus actually gave up his spirit. He gave it up. Nobody could take away his life. And Jesus has all authority because he is the king. You know, there were Jewish leaders that hated him because he threatened their authority. But we find that they could not even lay hands on him until his time had come. We read several times throughout the Gospels that that has happened. On Palm Sunday, to fulfill this prophecy here in uh, Zechariah 9... Uh, Jesus staged this public demonstration to show the Jewish people and the rulers that he is the Messiah. Remember, what is he doing? Instead of coming in riding on a horse, what does he come riding in on? A donkey. Not even that, but a foal of a donkey. He had that all planned. Hundreds of years before that was ever to happen. He has authority what he says will happen. What he says he will do, he will do it. And he has authority for all of that. The point is, is Jesus was clearly in charge of all the events surrounding his life, he has all of authority to say and do what he wants, including his death, his betrayal, and his crucifixion. Jesus had control over all of it. None of it took him by surprise. And he is the king of authority who controls all things according to his purpose, even the events of his death. Listen to what Acts chapter 2, verse 23 says. It says, This man, Peter was saying this, this man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing him to a cross at the hands of Gentiles. Jesus was in control of that. Here's the second thing. Jesus is a righteous king. Notice what he says here. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. That word righteous has to do with justice. What do people want today? What have you been hearing? Justice. We want justice. We want justice. Do we really want justice? Because if God really gave us justice we'd all be gone. The Bible says that Jesus is a righteous king, and he gives out the right amount of justice because he's a just king, and he gives justice to those that need justice. Jesus is the only one that can deliver perfect justice. Zechariah says that Israel's king is just, he's righteous. Jesus Christ will be just in the administration of his kingdom. You see, when Jesus Christ returns, he will bring complete and total and final justice to every wrong that has ever been committed. You know, I'm, I, it's sad, the this world that we live in today, it's very sad of the things that have happened Why? Because we have evil people in the world. And they do evil things. And they hurt people and they harm people. And we're crying out for justice. Yes. But did you know when Jesus returns, He will right every single wrong that has ever been done. He will give out the exact amount of justice that is deserved. Because he is a just and righteous king. Jesus Christ will be just in his kingdom because he is righteous in his person. He is righteousness. He is righteous. And so therefore, he can be a very just king. He is not out to take advantage of his subjects for personal gain. He has their best interests at heart. Notice the third thing here. Jesus is the king of salvation. Look at verse number 9. It says again, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. You see, Jesus came to bring salvation to his people. This is what the Jews were missing out on. They were thinking, okay, Jesus is going to come. He's going to throw off all these foreign powers. The Messiah is going to do this for us. Finally, we'll be set free. But see, God had a bigger plan at at all this. He came to bring salvation to his people. This meant a lot because the Jews thought the Messiah was going to bring salvation from their enemies. But Jesus came to do what? To release us from the bondage of sin, to set us free from our sins, for forgiveness of our sins. If you can recall the angel that told Joseph in Matthew 121, he says, You shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people, not from their enemies, but from what? Their sins. And they missed out on this because they weren't looking for that type of king. They were looking for a different type of king. And Jesus is one that brings salvation you know, what's awesome about this prophecy about Jesus is that it has a, very, it has a dual purpose in it. it, has, it and, and both of them are going to be fulfilled. One of them has already been fulfilled. And that's the fact that Jesus has come to release us from our sins. The second part of that is that Jesus will bring salvation from the enemies at his second coming. And that's, that tells us here in this, in this prophecy that he will come and he will release us from the enemies. But when we think about Jesus coming that first time, the first coming that Jesus come when he came, he brought salvation by offering himself to us. All throughout the New Testament and even, even in all these Old Testament prophecies, they're pointing to Jesus coming to release us from our sins, to save us from our sins. And it's all throughout Scripture that we find that. And so we see this when we think about His first coming and Jesus satisfying God's justice. What did Jesus do? He died on the cross for our sins. God says the soul that sins, it must die. What does Jesus do? He comes in on our behalf and He offers Himself in our place. He takes God's wrath for us. He suffers the, the, uh, the abandonment of God for us. Remember he's on the cross? What does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus dies in our place for our sins and takes God's wrath for us. And so Jesus' death was the perfect substitute for us. He paid the penalty we deserve, which allows God to be both just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus, is what Romans 3.26 teaches us. You see, we need righteousness. We need to be justified. Problem is, we can't do that on our own because we're sinners. We're guilty. In the courtroom of God, we are guilty. We stand condemned to die. But yet Jesus himself... Steps in, pays our fine, pays our penalty, and now we can be declared righteous. We can be declared forgiven. Not because of anything we have done, but solely on the basis of what Christ has done for us. You see, there are two wrong beliefs that will keep many people out of heaven. First, people wrongly believe that God is too loving to send anybody to hell. It's not true. The Bible's very clear on that. You see, if we, if we think that a, a God somehow would just kind of, well, you know what, you're a pretty good guy, and, you know, I, I can't do that to you, it grossly misrepresents the character and nature of God because God is holy. And we are sinful. And sin must be paid for. And if God could could just like somehow excuse it, just say, well, you know what? Go right on in. It's okay. He would not be the God of the Bible. So people sometimes think that. They think that God would never send them to hell. The second wrong belief is that most of us are good enough to qualify for heaven. Meaning that somehow we have this idea that I have all my good things I've done and I have all my bad things that I've done. And, well, you know, I've seemed to have done a little bit more good than bad, you know. And when I stand before God, the scales are going to tip in my favor. And God's just going to say, man, oh, man, I'm so glad you're here. Sorry, that's not what the scripture teaches. God's word teaches us that Jesus alone can only pay for our sin debt. And if you try to somehow muster up your own good works, your own goodness, and try to stand before God, sadly, you will be dismissed. You will be asked, depart from me, you cursed work of iniquity. I never knew you, because only Jesus can pay for our sins. Only Jesus satisfies God's payment for our sins. That's where Christ and the cross come in. You see, on the cross, the perfect Son of God offered Himself as a substitute for sinners. He came to give His life a ransom for many, is what Mark 10, 45 teaches us. And so, either we are going to stand before God clothed in our own goodness, clothed in our own, uh, you know, good deeds and good works, or we're going to stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See, that's the problem we have. We don't have any righteousness on our own. A lot of people have this thinking that they think, well, you know what? I go to church. Well. Okay, you go to church, so that makes you a church-going sinner. They say, well, okay, well, I go to church and I've been baptized. Okay, so you're a church-going, wet sinner. Well, I go to church, I've been baptized, and I give money. Okay, so you're a church-going, wet, money-giving sinner. Right? It doesn't take care of the sin problem. The sin problem can only be taken care of by having the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need his righteousness. It's not our own righteousness. And Jesus provides that for us. Here's the fourth thing. Jesus is a humble king. When you contrast Alexander the Great coming in, very proud, all of his war horses, and he's riding in and he's just, Ruthless and taking control of everything. How do we see Jesus coming? Look what it says here. Behold, your king is coming for you. He's coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He is humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, if you want to go see some donkeys, okay, you can go over to uh, Richard and Linda's place. And uh, what's the donkey's name? Is it Kyle? Hadassa, what's up? Boy, I'm way off there. Look at that. So she's got these donkeys, right? You can go over there and you can go see these donkeys and pet them, and you know, Linda talks to them. I, I don't know how she are you like a Dr. Doolittle? Something like that. Doctor Doolittle. <laughs> but she's got these donkeys, and you can go over there and you can see the donkeys. And you think about our Savior Jesus not riding in on a, on a powerful steed, right? What does he come riding in on? A donkey, a colt, very humble. Jesus was showing himself to be the king in fulfillment to our text here when he came into riding in Jerusalem there. Now take a look at that word humble in our text. That says a lot about who Jesus was when he came the first time. That word humble here also carries a meaning of poor or needy, and that's really true of what Jesus was, right? Right? He was poor. The Bible tells us that he left all of the glories of heaven and he took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It tells us by his, because he became poor, he became poor for our sake so that we might be made rich. And so we're reminded about, of our Lord's humility Uh, What Jesus did, Jesus willingly laid aside his rights and he took the form of a servant becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now that is our king. That is what scripture teaches us about who Jesus really is. Do you know him? Are you looking for him? You see, the Jews missed out on this because they weren't looking for that type of king. They were looking for a different type of king. But God's word tells us what we should be looking for. And he has provided us Jesus. And he has spoken plainly and clearly that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Now, here's the last point. We're done. Do I rejoice at the coming of the king? Do I rejoice at the coming of the king? You see, since Jesus is our king, it makes total, complete sense that he is coming again. And see, this is where this fulfillment, this dual fulfillment comes into play. Because verse 9 predicts Jesus' first coming. It tells us about his coming. He's going to offer himself as our substitute. He's coming in lowliness. He's coming in humility. He's going to bring salvation. But verse number 10 here predicts his second coming. In power and glory to reign over all the earth. Listen to what he says here. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. And the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see, when Jesus returns, he will remove all weapons of war. At this time, they had chariots and bows and uh, war horses, I mean, I don't think Zechariah was looking and saying, "Boy, that looks like a missile. I'm going to write that in there. I will cut off the missiles from Ephraim." Right? No, he's 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 going with what he has here: chariots and war horses and bows. But when Jesus returns, he will remove all of that and take care of it once and from all. And look what he says. He says he will remove all weapons of war, both from Israel and from all of Israel's enemies notice what it says here, when it says that he will speak peace to the nations, it's implying here more than just mere words, right? Because Jesus is peace. His presence will bring about peace in the entire world. See, and that's what people are looking for, right? They're looking for peace, but they're going to be offered a false peace, and who's that going to be? The Antichrist. Jesus is going to come and he will bring true peace as what scripture teaches us here. Zechariah here then quotes from Psalm 72, 8 about Messiah's reigning from sea to sea. It says, it "says his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth, which is really just basically saying he's going to rule over all. And that goes really in line step with what scripture teaches us that Jesus will make all of his enemies his footstool. He will rule with a rod of iron for a thousand years, the Bible tells us, and he will bring true peace upon this nation. You know, it's interesting is when you think about our Savior Jesus, he has actually predicted, Jesus has predicted his own return to earth and power and glory In Matthew 24, verse 30, and also in uh, Matthew 26 and 64, it tells us that Jesus tells about His second coming. He's saying, I'm going to come again. I'm going to do this. In Revelation 19, 11 through 16, it shows Jesus coming again, this time not on a foal of a donkey, but now how is He going to return? The Bible says He's going to come on a white charger of war to slay His enemies as King of kings and Lord of lords. Remember, that you read there in when, uh, Revelation, John says that a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth, right? And on his thigh was written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our king that's going to be coming back. And he's going to be coming back then as a judge, to judge the nations, to judge the world. And at that time, every person will meet Jesus. And if you yield to him now, You will joyfully meet Him as Savior. But if you reject Jesus, if you're rejecting Christ, you will meet Him as a judge. And uh, that's where Revelation 19.15 says that He will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And that's not a good position to be in. So as believers, what should our response be to the fact that Jesus Christ is King and that He's coming again? Well, look what Zechariah says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Two times he commands us here to rejoice, to shout, to be excited about Jesus coming as the king. And when you think about triumph, that's exuberant joy. Our daughter Evelyn, um, we had asked her like, you know, hey, she wasn't feeling too good about some things. And we're like, hey, do you want to go do this? No, I don't want to do that. You know, she was just kind of gloomy. And then all of a sudden, she got something fixed or something. And she came, I mean, she went from, I don't want to do anything, to, mom, dad, you can't believe it. I got this fixed. I got this thing, so You can't believe it. I can't believe it. Right? Exuberant joy. And we're like, oh, well, you must be feeling okay that we can go do this now. Right? <laughs> But you think about this, this exuberant joy that we should be having. What is exuberant joy? It's to be filled with or characterized by a lively energy and excitement. Now, this is a command from God's Word. As believers in Christ, those of us that know Jesus as our Savior, we should be filled with exuberant joy, lively, energetic. Now, I'm just like you. You look at the past two years of things that have happened in our world, and we say, how in the world can we be joyful? Maybe you've heard this statement. I know I've heard it several times. You know, I just know 2022 is just going to be better. It's got to be better. I have a newsflash for you. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. As believers in Christ, how are we to have joy in that type of situation? Think with me in Zechariah's time as he's writing. Alexander the Great's going to come, and he's going to be ruthless. And here they are. They're under dominion of foreign powers. Their lives scattered. They don't know what's going to happen. But yet they were told to have joy. How can they have joy? How can we have joy? By faith. They were looking forward to the Messiah. And what are we supposed to be doing? Looking forward to the Messiah, Jesus, that is going to return and come for us. So are you awaiting our King? Are you waiting Jesus? We should be. And we should be doing it with great joy, exuberant joy, lively joy, because our Savior Jesus is going to return. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.